Sri 
ಶ್ರೀರಾಧ ಶ್ಯಾಮ ಸುಂದ ಗೋಪ ಗೋಪಿನಾಥ ಶ್ಯಾಮ ಕುಂದರಾಧ ಕುಂಜ ಗಿರು ಗೌರಂತಿ ಜಯ ಗ್ರಂಥರಾಜ ಶ್ರೀಮದ್ ಭಗವತಾಂತಿ ಜಯ ಗೌರಂಗ ಓಂ ನಮೋ ಭಗವತ್ಸುರೇವಾಂ ನಮೋ ಭಗವತ್ಸುರೇವಾಂ ನಮೋ ಭಗವತ್ಸುರೇವಾಂ Today we're reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, 3rd Canto, 5th Chapter, Text Number 26. Kalavritya tumayayam Gunamayam aroksajam Purushenatma bhutena Viryam adatta viryavam ಕಲಾವೃತ್ಯಾಮ ಗುಣಮಯಮೋಕ್ಷ ಪುರುಷೇನಾತ್ಮನ್ ಪುರುಷೇನಾತ್ಮೂತೇನ ವೀರ್ಯಂ ಆದ್ಯವಾನ್ ಗುಣಮಯೋಕ್ಸಜ
the eternal time. Vritya, by the influence of, to, but, mayayam, in the external energy. Gunamayam, in the qualitative modes of nature. <clears throat> Adhoksaja, the transcendence. Purushena, Advaiti Purusha incarnation. Atmabhutena, <clears throat> who is the plenary expansion of the Lord. Viryam, the seeds of the living entity. Adbhuta, impregnated. Viryavam, the supreme living being. Translation. The Supreme Living Being, in his feature, as the transcendental Purusha Incarnation, who is the Lord's plenary expansion, impregnates the material nature of three modes, and thus, by the influence of eternal time, the living entities appear. The offspring of any living being is born after the father impregnates the mother with semen, and the living entity floating in that semen of the father takes the shape of the mother's form. Similarly, mother material nature cannot produce any living entity from her material elements unless and until she is impregnated with the living entities by the Lord himself. That is the mystery of the generation of the living entities. This impregnating process is performed by the first Purusha incarnation, Karna Dakshayi Vishnu. Simply by his glance over the material nature, the whole matter is accomplished. We should not, that's wonderful how Prophet says that. The whole matter is accomplished. It's all done, taken care of just by that. We should not understand the process of impregnation by the personality of Godhead in terms of our conception of sex. The omnipotent Lord can impregnate just by his eyes, and therefore he is called all-potent. Each and every part of his transcendental body can perform each and every function of the other parts. This is confirmed in the Brahma Samhita, 5th chapter, verse 32. In the Bhagavad Gita, 14th chapter, verse 3, also, the same principle is confirmed. Mama Yoni Mahadrama Tasman Garbhatidam When the cosmic creation is manifested, the living entities are directly supplied from the Lord. They are never products of material nature. Thus, no scientific advancement of material science can ever produce a living being. That is the whole mystery of the material creation. The living entities are foreign to matter, and thus they cannot be happy unless they are situated in the same spiritual life as the Lord. A mistaken living being, out of forgetfulness of this original condition of life, unnecessarily wastes time trying to become happy in the material world. <laughs> the whole Vedic process is to remind one of this essential feature of life. <clears throat> the Lord offers the conditioned soul a material body 
for his so-called enjoyment. But if one does not come to his senses and enter into spiritual consciousness, the Lord again puts him in the unmanifested condition as it existed in the beginning of the creation. <clears throat> the Lord is therefore described here as Vir Yavan, or the greatest potent being, because he impregnates material nature with innumerable living entities who are conditioned from time immemorial. Om Ajnana Tamaram Dasyajanam Janashalakaya Chaksuhim Nilkaminatasmai Sri Guru Namaha Mukam Kareti Bachilam Pandum Lam Jaliti Guru Yakripatamaham Bande Sri Guru Nilkaram my only constant companion, my only friend, my guru, my wealth, that which has delivered me, my great fortune, and the source of my good luck, the form through which I taste pleasure, my obeisances to you, O Srimad Bhagavatam. I offer my respectful obeisances to you, O Srimad Bhagavatam. By your recitation, one attains transcendental bliss because your syllables shower pure love of God. You are to be served by everyone, always, for you are an incarnation of Lord Krishna. This verse falls into the category of sometimes how we read descriptions from Shastra and we're forced to accept the applicable nature of a statement from Prabhupada with your pea-like brain. <clears throat> um, I'm not any kind of scholar and these types of explanations from the Bhagavatam reinforce that understanding. But we are tasked as speakers on behalf of Srila Prabhupada to try and give some insight into these words of our spiritual master. But before I unpack what we may find in here, there are two things that I feel we need to examine in approaching this verse. The first, how did we get here? And I don't mean we here this morning, neither do I mean we in the universal sense. I mean, in the context of this section of the bottom of the time, how did we arrive to this point? Well, Vidura has approached Maitreya, as we know, we've been following and regularly hearing, attending, reading, whatever. And in approaching Maitreya, he admits his spiritual frustration. He asks for a deeper explanation of the various topics pertaining to spiritual life. And now he's ready to hear them from the most capable of sages, Maitreya. Now, Maitreya himself, he could very easily go right into the duty he has of fulfilling the request of the door. But Maitreya, he wants to establish a couple of points first. And that's what the previous verses, handful of verses with this have done. These points have been noted in these 
verses in the Bhagavatam in this particular chapter because they're relevant to the state of mind, they're relevant to the internal thinking of Maitreya as to his own duties, his own responsibility. He notes, verse 21, he notes that he's an empowered speaker of the Lord who has been tasked with the duty to speak on the philosophy and the pastimes of the Lord. So he's not in the mood of creating anything. This is Srila Prabhupada's constant and steady statement. I'm not giving anything new. I'm simply giving what has been handed down to me. <coughs> Secondly, he acknowledges that the hearer, the Dora, is an internal associate of the Lord. And thus, as an internal associate of the Lord, he knows everything that Maitreya is going to say to him. This is not new information to him. <clears throat> then, prior to that verse, in verses 19 and 20, he takes this understanding, this explanation, to a, another level, and he provides the details of the doors coming by noting that you're born from Vyasadeva, and you were previously Yamaraj in another life. So not only does he acknowledge his position as a servant of the Lord to speak on behalf of the Lord, not only does he acknowledge Vidura's position as an internal associate of the Lord, but he gives the details on how he knows Vidura to be an internal associate of the Lord. You're born from Vyasadi, first of all, the literary incarnation of God. We all know the story, how this has taken place. We won't divert into that particular avenue here. And he acknowledges that you're Yamaraj, and he tells the story. He indicates the uh, exchange uh, with the great Rishi and the you know, misunderstanding and the torture. I spoke on this some number of months ago. <clears throat> so in this way, he gives full understanding that I'm not just speaking to some person off the street. You know what I'm about to say. Just as many of us, having been in the Krishna Consciousness Movement for some number of years, five years, 10 years, 50 years, whatever it is, we know the philosophy. But we want to hear it again and again and again, Nityam Bhagavata Sevaya, because it helps us to remember. One of the defects of this age, is that, of this material life, is that we forget so many things. You know? That's that they say, you know, my ability to remember mundane lyrics from songs of my youth that I haven't heard in years far surpasses my ability to understand why I walked into this room to get something. This is a very common thing we experience. Why did come Oh yeah, that song about that, we can run the whole lyrics down. You know, so we're very forgetful of the important things. So at any rate, Maitreya is acknowledging this background there. But then in verses 21 and 22, he points out that the Lord has left this transcendental knowledge with me. He's imparted it through the discipline's discussion to me. For what purpose? So I can hold on to it? 
Prabhupada describes this as miserly, someone who has much wealth, whether it's financial wealth, whether it's uh, spiritual wealth, someone who has much wealth but keeps it to themselves. This isn't the proper use of that. If one has resources, they should be shared. And by sharing those resources, those resources multiply. And then their proper uh, use is understood. So he says that this knowledge, this transcendental knowledge has been imparted to me, and because of that, I shall describe all these events to you, one after one. So, all right, you've made this inquiry. I know this is a part of the Leela here, because I know who you are, and you know all of this. I mean, you're Yamaraj. You judge all the living entities. This means you know religious principles. When the Yamadutas approached... Um, um, Ajamil, thank you. See, you wouldn't forget. There's a perfect example. When the Yamadutas approached Ajamil, they were shocked that the Vishnu Dutas were there. Wait a minute, wait a minute. No, no, no. Nobody's ever stopped us before. Who are you? So they went back to Yamaraj. What's going on? We always thought, like, you were it. We worked for the big guy. Yamaraj said, no, no. Actually, it's not a fact. And explained all of the internal philosophy. So, in this way, Maitreya is setting up this stage for being able to speak on these topics that he's going to share with you today. It's not an insignificant point in this exchange of spiritual knowledge from the guru to the disciple. As I mentioned, Prabhupada said so many times, this is not something I've created. I've worked very hard sitting in Vrindavan to develop something new. You know, if you read the writings of some so-called spiritualists, uh, they work very hard to come up with a new teaching. That's what Prabhupada says, that the definition of a muni is that he must come up with a new interpretation to what's already been spoken. So, <clears throat> this, the guru is acknowledging, if he's a genuine guru, he's acknowledging his dependence on the Lord's mercy, on his own circumstances of being used as an instrument by the Lord, and the fact that the knowledge he has is coming from the Lord. So these three qualities must be there in one who is taking the position of a guru. To acknowledge their dependence on the Lord, to acknowledge the circumstance of their being used as an instrument of the Lord, and to acknowledge the fact that what they're speaking has come from the Lord. So, this takes us back to the ABCs of Bhagavad Gita. Fourth chapter, Krishna speaks on this, the first five verses, which I'll recite here. The personality of Godhead, Lord Krishna said, I instructed this imperishable science of yoga to the son God, Vivishman, and Vivishman instructed it to Manu, the father of mankind, and Manu, in turn, instructed it unto Ishwaku. The supreme science was thus received through the chain of disciplic succession, and the saintly kings understood it in this way. But in due course of time, the succession was broken, and therefore the science as it is, as it is, appears to be lost. That very ancient science of the relationship with the Supreme <clears throat> excuse me, is today told by me to you because you are my devotee as well as my friend and can therefore understand the transcendental mysteries of this science. This is an important aspect. Not only a devotee, but a friend. 
food you done and different types of friends. But to be a friend of the Lord means that you're open to hearing from the Lord, to what it is that his representative is going to say. Krishna continues. No, Arjuna continues here. The son got Vivashvana senior to you by birth. How am I to understand that in the beginning you instructed the science to him? The personality of God had said, many, many births both you and I have passed. I can remember all of them, but you cannot persevere of the enemy. So in these basic instructions from the Bhagavad Gita, our most fundamental of literatures, Krishna is emphasizing this process that the knowledge is not something new, not something created, not something regenerated every you know, turn of the globe, but that it is actually information and knowledge that is coming down from the Supreme Lord throughout time immemorial. Another important quality that we see in my trade is that there's no arrogance or false ego. Yes, I'm the one speaking. I've got all this knowledge. I'm going to share it with you. You're such a lucky soul. Now, granted, one who is hearing from the spiritual master is indeed the most fortunate of personalities. But Maitreya does not have that mentality in his dissemination of the knowledge. Instead, he's quite humble, acknowledging his position, acknowledging the Dura's position. And because of this mentality, this humility, he's thus the competent person to explain these higher subject matters to the Dura. Because Vidura has stated that the lesser subject matters, this is back in verse 10, the lesser subject matters have not satisfied me. And I was fortunate to speak on that verse. And Vidura was, you know, look, I, I've heard all these different things, you know, about the different functions of society in the video. That's all lesser subject. It didn't satisfy me. I need something more. Very akin to the conversation between Mahaprabhu and Ramananda Roy in South India. When Mahaprabhu left Puri, he was instructed by Sarvabhama Bhattacharya to find Ramananda Roy. Ramananda Roy is a topmost devotee. Don't be confused by his external appearance. You'll benefit greatly from hearing from him. So Mahaprabhu went and he found Ramananda Roy and he spoke with him. And every time he asked, uh, gave some, uh, asked some question and Ramananda Roy gave an answer, that's not, but is there something more? So he wasn't taking simply the basic. He wanted to advance more. And this is a symptom of, of, uh, of enthusiasm in devotional life. I want to advance more. I want to learn more. I want to become more knowledgeable, more filled with love of God. Now, that concept to many of us, even after some number of decades of executing devotional service may seem like a foreign idea. Wow, love of God. Well, that would be nice, wouldn't it? But in reality, that is the driving force behind our inquiry, behind our listening to the Bhagavatam, behind our daily practice of our sadhana, behind our worship of the deity, behind our satsanga, behind our reading of the shastras, so that we can advance more, so that we can become more spiritualized, become more Krishna conscious, see less, find ourselves less involved in the material aspect. <clears throat> so Vidura is stating this plainly and Maitreya in a mood of humility 
an acknowledgement of himself being an instrument of the Lord speaks to the door on these subjects. And that was the first point. The second point I'd like to make before we look at this poor part is I dare say that most of us come across things in Krishna consciousness in Prabhupada's writings that we had no exposure to prior to being a devotee. The use of the word or phrases plenary or plenary expansion or plenary expansion of a portion of expansion. <laughs> we see these words, a portion of a plenary expansion. Um, never heard these things before became a devotee. I would dare say many of us, this type of uh, use of the language, something new. These words, they take the spiritual understanding to a deeper level. One that's not vague or mystical, but clearly grounded in a genuine realization of the Lord and his many energies and potencies. It's necessary if we're going to understand the Lord to understand his energies because they are a part of him, they are expansion from him. You know, if you want to understand an individual, you can associate and become familiar with the family members and hear about them and see how his presence is appreciated or understood. So this is what's going on with the use of these words. It's giving us an opportunity. Now, it's interesting, the word plenary has an interesting meaning behind it. And once we understand that, it's easy to see how it connects to the Lord himself. So in the Oxford Dictionary, we find that the word is explained as something that is absolute and unqualified against others. Something that is unlimited and unrestricted. So these words give an indication of where this is going. And when used in a collective, it means that the Latin, if we look at it, uh, it, it describes something that's fully constituted as a part, fully constituted as a part of a greater whole, of a larger group, for instance. Uh, on a mundane level, the plenary uh, committee of the, you know, whatever the larger group is like that. So, so in the Latin, the word plenus means full, and plenaries means complete. So this gives us an idea of why this word is used and carefully picked out by Srila Prabhupada. Those of you may be familiar with the fact that when Srila Prabhupada traveled, he carried two particular books, many different books, but two particular books with him. One was the Sanskrit English Dictionary, and one was the commentary on the Bhagavad by the Acharyas. And in the wee hours of the morning, or the late, late hours of the night, depending on what your angle of vision is, Srila Prabhupada would pore over these and understand exactly what words to pull and present and how to, you know, very, very detailed. Now, complete and full, unlimited, unrestricted. Now, the opposite of that, of course, is someone that's incomplete, someone that's restricted in their activities. That, of course, describes all of us very, very nicely. We're completely restricted. We, we can't do anything beyond what this body will allow. 
Now, some people's body are going to allow certain things, more so than others. Each of us are individual, but we have our restrictions. So, this little background on this word allows us to understand how it's the perfect word to describe the Lord and his expansions. That they're complete, that they're full, that they're unrestricted, that they're absolute. Prabhupada goes into full explanations of these uh, repeatedly throughout his poor books. You can go into Vanipedia and see where Prabhupada speaks quite, length, quite at length on these. And, uh, you know, we, we see that there are persons in this world that may think of themselves in returns to this, in, in regards to this type of uh, unrestricted completeness. But in reality, we see quite the opposite. No one in this world, no one impacted by the three modes of material nature, no one that takes their birth in this material environment is plenary portions of the world, is unrestricted, complete. So now, looking at the poor part, <clears throat> right off the bat, Prabhupada makes a very significant point that we should not mistake this process of impregnation with regular sex activity that goes on in this world. He makes a comparison between the process of impregnation of the Lord and his energies as being similar to what we see in this world. He, he makes that very clear, but not to be mistaken as being driven by the same forces or to, be, uh, 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 to function in the same way. Now, he does know that the living entity through the father's son takes the shape of the mother's form. When I read this in the Purah, I thought this is a very significant statement. We don't see that a human being gives birth to a dog. We don't see that a dog gives birth to a human being. Regardless of what the National Enquirer will tell us to sell their paper rag at the checkout stands, Woman gives birth to monkey man. Dog child born from, you know, I mean, we've seen these ridiculous headlines. So that's not the way it works. Prophet establishes that here, that the form that's impregnated, the seed that's impregnated into the mother takes the form of the mother. And this is confirmed in other places, such as in the Bible, Genesis, chapter, uh, first chapter, verse 27, that we're created in the image of God. So this is a significant point as well. Even in other scriptures, it's noted that that process of impregnation brings about a living entity in the form of the womb in which that living entity is grown. The process of impregnation of the material nature by the Sun Purusha brings about a living entity who has the same aspects as that material nature. That means the same types of restrictions, and it means the same types of um, influence from the three modes of material nature. This is why we say that, you know, in this material world, we're always under the modes of material nature. They are that famous uh, cover to BTG, I think it's also in the Bhagavatam, of the three nodes of the strings, and the living entity is the puppet. 
you know, we like to watch marionettes, you know, they're all controlled by the strings and the puppeteer makes them move in whatever way they do. So these three modes of material nature, they make us move in whatever way we move. And once we become free from those modes of material nature, then we can get a taste of unrestricted life. But in the meantime, what's that from the uh, Bhagavad Gita? Struggling with the six senses, which include the mind. When I was a brahmacharya, I had one god-brother. <clears throat> Out of respect for him and the fact that he's departed from this world, he had a face that you could look at him and know immediately what was going on. The rule, you doing all right today? Oh, it's that old rascal mind. That was his go-to phrase. It's that old rascal mind. Okay, it's the old rascal mind, but are we taking shelter and embracing it? Or are we rejecting it? Struggling with the six senses, which include the mind. I want to eat something. Okay, the tongue's busy. Oh, I'd like to look at that. Oh, the eyes are busy. Oh, did you hear that song? Oh, the ears are busy. You know, on and on and on like that. And then we're going to add to that the mind. Prabhupada explains different living entities have different senses that compel them. You know, the fish is uh, uh, attracted by the taste. You know, there's plenty of food in the ocean, but it sees this dangly little thing that it doesn't recognize swimming in the water and it grabs and whoosh, the hook goes in the mouth and is captured. You know? Uh, the deer. The deer hears the sound of the flute. Stops. The hunter plays his music and he stops to listen. The hunter whoosh, careful aim because deers are very fast. You know? Not so fast that they don't get hit by many cars here, but they're very fast. So they, they, by the sound of that, here, oh. And so all of these different living entities, Prabhupada goes through the entire set of senses and lists each and every one of them. They're all trapped by one particular sense. And then there's the mind. And he mentions we in the human form have all of these senses active and, you know, searching. And then there's the mind. So when we realize, oh, it's that old rascal mind, are we rejecting the mind? Are we embracing what it's bringing forth to us? This is the thinking that will allow us to free ourselves from the same aspect as the material nature we're born into, rejecting that process. Now, the material nature is described as pudana. It's made up of the 24 elements. It's very elaborately described in the third canto, chapter 26. Great detail, Prabhupada goes over all of this. And here, Prabhupada refers to this as the mystery of generation. Not the mystery of generations, like, you know, family-wise, but the process of generating. The mystery of the process of generation is this understanding of how the living entity is impregnated into this pradhana. So if this subject matter is of interest, it's 26th chapter of this canto we're in, the great resource for looking at this. <clears throat> now, as I mentioned, Prabhupada points out that this should not, this whole process should not be confused with the sex life that we see in this world that produces children. So Prabhupada says, no, not the same. So, okay, how is it different? If someone says to you, no, it's not like that, okay, well then how is it? Sometimes people come into 
me at work, and she, uh, of course, by now everybody knows they work in the plumbing department, <laughs> including half the contractors. <laughs> so they come in to me and say, I, I need to do this. How do I do it? I, I think I can do it like this. I said, no, that's not going to work. So what's the next question? Okay, well, how does it do it? How do I do it? So if I'm going to say, no, that's not the way, then I better know what is the way. And you can't get there. You, know, you have to do this. So if, as Prabhupada says, this process of the Lord impregnating material nature is not like our regular sex life in this world, what is it like? Well, Prabhupada explains it. We have one means of the process of impregnation. There's a particular organ in the body that serves that purpose, and that's the only way it's done. If that process is not involved, even if you're using artificial insemination or all the other medical practices that are out there, it's ultimately the same process. But the Lord achieves that process simply by glancing. Pregnant. <laughs> Just by glancing. So, of course, this is detailed as proper quotes here in the fifth chapter, thirty-second verse of the promise of I'm down yesterday. Each of the limbs of the transcendental supreme Lord possess full-fledged functions of all the other organs. So as we know, when the Pujari is making the offering to the Lord, he's ringing that bell. The offering is placed in front of him. At the end of that ringing of the bell and recitation of mantras, the Pujari leaves, gives the Lord time to eat. He returns back in, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, whatever the standard is, and the Lord is satisfied. But wait, the food's still there. Unless, of course, you're Raghunanda. Raghunanda was asked by his father, I'm going to go away. I have some business in the next town. When the noon offering time comes, please make the offering to the Lord. So Raghunanda was a little child, well, maybe five, six, something you now. So he takes in the little bit of prasad, it's a sign for the family, and puts it in front of the Lord and waits. And nothing happens to his external eyes. Oh, Lord, please eat. Nothing happens. The boy begins to cry because he thinks, the child thinks, if the Lord doesn't eat, my father will come home and be very upset with me. So he begins to cry and begs the Lord, please eat, eat. The Lord is so touched by this sincere offering, Yome Bhakta Prayachati, the devotion of the Shah. Okay, he eats it. Very nice. So the boy's so happy. Okay, quick. He is. Father comes back from his prison. Okay, I'll take Prashadam now. Where's the Prashadam? I offered it to the Lord. Yes, I understand, but where's the Maha? We have several people in our community who are very attentive at five minutes till seven in the evening. Where's the Maha? Where's the Maha? And some are even there at ten minutes till seven. <laughs> at any rate. <clears throat> so, why offered it? The Lord ate it. And I thought, yes, yes, I understand the Lord ate it. That's the process you have to put. Where's the Maha? No, no, the Lord ate everything. Now the father knew that Raghunanda uh, is not, not a mischievous boy. Now you make another offering. So the father went and hid outside the room, just little peeking in from the door, and Raghunanda offered again to the Lord. 
Now, this next portion of the story is told in two ways. One way is that the Lord was already fully satisfied from the first half, so he just took one bite. The other way is that, oh, I see you're, you're peeking to see what's going on. Ah, okay, I'm stopping after that one bite. Well, either way, the same result is there. The father became so ecstatic. Now, this pastime was known by Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And when the two of them came to Puri, as all the, we all know the story, all the Bengali devotees who come to Puri for Ratyatya with Mahaprabhu, Mahaprabhu asked, Father, who is the father and who is the son? He said, oh, Raghunandan is the father because he has taught me the real meaning of devotion. So, in this way, the Lord can eat simply by seeing. We offer incense to the Lord, the Lord appreciates that by smelling. In this description here, the Lord can impregnate the material nature, not by this gross functional activity of this world, but simply by glancing at the material nature, at the pradana, all the living entities move into it, simply by his vision. Now, this is an ability exclusive to the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Now, I will say that when I was growing up, my mother and father tried to convince me that they had eyes in the back of their head and could see everything I was doing. Or that they could hear whatever I was up to halfway across the house, all the way across the house. And at a point or two, I may have also tried those same arguments on my own children. But, in reality, the nature of this world is that our limbs, our functions, they serve one purpose and one purpose only. As Prabhupada very uh, pointedly and jokingly says, you eat by taking food and putting it into the mouth, not into the anus. Actually says that on a <clears throat> So, we can only see with our eyes, we can't see with our ears. We can only eat with our mouth. We can only impregnate with that organ. The Lord's not restricted in this way. This is why he is plenary. Full, complete, unrestricted. So, eyes for hearing, mouth for eating, tasting, nose for smelling, ears for hearing, so on and so on like this. But from the Vedic scriptures, we understand the Lord is not restricted in this way. And this is the qualification for the personality of Godhead. Now, many different persons throughout history, throughout our current times, even claim to be the supreme personality of Godhead. Prabhupada would also say many times, oh, if you are the supreme Lord, can you lift over downhill? Don't go and lift the whole head, just a little finger, not, you know, earth-moving equipment and cranes and just the little finger, just hold the hill up. No, it's not possible. <clears throat> oh, you're the supreme personality got hit? Please impregnate your wife simply looking at her. No, I'm sorry, it's not possible that way. So, in this way, it establishes the exclusive quality, nature, and abilities of the Lord. Now, the next couple of lines in this forepoint probably, probably establishes a point that was the foundation of much of his preaching throughout the years. And in short terms, it was life comes from life. He says it very boldly and very proudly in this statement. Thus, no scientific advancement can produce a living being. 
no scientific advancement can produce living beings. Let them create a mosquito, just a mosquito. Just a mosquito, let them create a mosquito. So it's not possible in that manner. Now next, Prabhupada brings to light three additional points that he rallied on in his preaching. We're foreign to this matter. We cannot be happy here, and it's a waste of time to try and do so. So these things, this is the culmination of dissatisfaction with material life and embracing the spiritual life. We're foreign to being here. We can't be happy here, and it's a waste of time to try and do it. Now, it's an interesting fact, in this particular age that we live in, no one wants to accept that they're wrong. Nobody's interested in hearing that, no, no, I, that, you know. Um, nowadays, we see particularly, if someone speaks a lie strongly enough, with enough conviction, and often enough, it becomes accepted as the truth. This was famously exemplified by the George Orwell, fictional, or maybe not fictional, whatever, novel in 1984 in a language called Newspeak. Sometimes it's misunderstood as Newspeak. It's not two S's, it's Newspeak. And Newspeak is a fictional language of a totalitarian superstate. And the purpose was to establish ideological requirements for the party to be able to control people by a simplified grammar with limited vocabulary designed to limit a person's ability for critical thinking and thus limit the person's ability to articulate abstract concepts such as personal identity, self-expression, and free will. Very similar to what we see going on in our modern world. And this is all part of this process of putting forth the lie that, no, we're not foreign here. Yes, we can be happy here. And it's not a waste of time to try and do so. So by propagating this lie often enough, through advertisement, through lifestyles, through, uh, what do they call those things? Uh, influencers. You know, now you're called an influencer if you can convince somebody to do something stupid. Back then, my father just called it bad company. But, you know, so you can convince people of these things. Then it becomes the fact. This type of... Uh, environment we see in the world today that restricts philosophical thinking. And as a result, many people have no ability to think critically. When uh, my son was in the Gurukul, one of the classes he took, and I guess it's still going on, and I have kids in the Gurukul anymore, so I don't know, was critical thinking. Children were taught how to think critically, how to look at something and analyze it. This is a sign of intelligence. So fortunately, as it's said in this verse, the Vedic culture and the process of the Vedic culture is to remind us of this essential purpose of life. And we're very blessed to come into contact with these divine teachings through the medium of Shriyasati, through the medium of Maitreya, through the medium of Vidura, and down the disciplic succession to our own Shriyaprabhupada. So these last couple of lines in the purport, they point out that if we don't come to our senses, what will happen? We'll be impregnated again into the material nature. 
and again. And again. The word used is, we've been having this effect, uh, having this put on us since time immemorial. 8,400,000 different species, it's understood, we've been here. So, we have a way out. We're blessed with this Vedic knowledge. We're blessed to understand our true position as an eternal spirit soul, part and parcel and servant of Krishna. We should be very careful to execute our devotional practices attentively, with devotion, and to cultivate the desire to go back to home, back to Godhead, as Prabhu says, in this very life. So, this purport and the others like it in this particular chapter help us to understand how to hear that knowledge, how to speak it when the necessity comes, and how to understand what the goal is from that knowledge. In this very life, we can go back to home, back to God and process. So, we'll finish there. Thank you all very much for giving me this opportunity to speak on Srimad Bhagavatam. It's our service to Srimad Prophet, As he said, I have made your good fortune, so you now make others. Do we make others by speaking? Yes, but by speaking what we've heard from Srimad Prophet. This is why it is important to read Prophet's books regularly to listen to Prabhupada's lectures regularly, to hear from the source so that we don't forget what the goal is. Yes, Prabhu. Um, yeah, thank you for giving such a wonderful class. Um, and I was thinking, I was thinking to something that I think is Albert Einstein says, if you can't explain something to a five-year-old and have them understand it, then you don't know it. And he says something like that. <clears throat> and so I was having an appreciation for your, your class, and um, especially whenever you're speaking to the children. You know, here on Wednesdays, I know they, my son comes home daily and is like, oh, John, I'm going to hit class, you know. Um, but it makes me think of how, like you were saying earlier, the, the, uh, how necessary it is for us to have community. And a lot of times as parents or as adults, the curiosity of children can be maybe overwhelming or they ask us questions that we don't know how, to, we don't want to take the time to sit and think about how to convey it to them in a way they understand. But if we do that, I know with my own son, like when he asks questions about Christian consciousness, I try to see it as an opportunity to like explain it in a way that makes sense to him. Because mm -hmm. if it doesn't make sense to an eight-year-old kid, they're going to keep asking questions. Oh, mm -hmm. that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. So five-year-old yeah. also. Huh? <laughs> five-year-old also. Yeah, five-year-olds too. Yeah, especially so. Um, yeah, I, I was taking that away from the lecture today, the importance of humility and also uh, asking questions because just as important as it is to have the guru there to impart the knowledge, the student has to ask the question in mm -hmm. order for the knowledge to come. So, thank you. Thank you. Um, realization is shown by how one can share the message with different varieties of people. 
the depth of Srila Prabhupada's realization, I mean, Prabhupada was the foremost disciple of Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, and Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur spoke on a level that's just far beyond us. But Prabhupada's understanding of that and how to relay that to drug-addled hippies of the 60s in the Lower East Side of New York, and at the same time turn right around and speak with college professors, this is realization to be able to share that with different people at different levels. So, you know, our kids force us into deeper levels of understanding and realization. Yeah, it's true. Um, yes, Madhuguru Prasad. Thank you, Guru. I just loved your classes, your deliverance and everything. Guru, the Guru is, um, like Maitreya was able to see who Vidura is. Mm. The Gurus are always are able to see where who the disciple or where they're coming from, I think. I don't know I mean, what gurus can and can't see. I'm not one, so I can't speak to that point. Because sometimes Prabhupada gives specific instruction. I mean, there were times that Prabhupada, for instance, there's couples, a couple particularly comes to mind in this community that when Prabhupada met them as a couple, he told them, you've been together for seven births, for seven lifetimes. So, you know, there are situations like that where the guru can certainly look at an individual and know these things. That's the meaning of yeah. Not that they can tell the future, oh, you're going to come in the money, you're going to be in a car accident. No, but understand this. So, yes, that's certainly true. Who can and who can't and how, I don't have any clue on that subject. <laughs> Way out of my uh, pay scale, as they say. <laughs> Sorry. All right, we're going to finish there. I've got uh, some commitments, so thank you very much. All glories to Srimad Bhagavatam, all glories to Srila Prabhupada, all glories to the Vaishnavas.